Hello, welcome to Truck Stop Murder and True Crime Podcast. I am your host, Gary Howard. Boy, it's sure been a while since I put out an episode. My wife reminds me every single day, when are you going to put one out? When are you going to put one out? Well, I've had this one ready for a while, but I was supposed to be doing it with somebody, but I guess that person changed their mind for some reason or another. I don't know, but I'm tired of waiting. So without further ado, here I am. But if you, but first of all, if you're a return listener, thank you. If you're a new listener, let me tell you a little bit about the show. I'm a truck driver. I work for Prima Express. I travel all 48 states where I think I used to. I'm not for sure. But I travel all over the country. At one time or another, I did. And during that time, I have to stay at truck stops. On this podcast, I'll talk about the truck stops. And anything that goes on around there is for food, restaurants. So if you're traveling through there, you know what you can get to eat there. Also, what people think about it. And I talk about murder. That happens. I try to stay within 50 miles of that truck stop. And all truck stops that I talk about, I've actually stayed at. In... It might have been a while, but I've been there. So let's talk about where currently I'm in Dallas, Texas, right now at the PTA. I guess right south of Dallas, right south of Dallas, on I-20 at the pilot truck stop. But I'm gonna save that for another day. The truck stop I'm gonna talk about today is Tracy Truck Stop, Tracy Truck and Auto Shop, which is a pay stop. When I just stopped there. I did not know it was it was late and I had just got into a wreck right outside of Tracy matter of fact right outside the truck stop this one woman was on the phone and I was I had my turn signal on I made a left off the highway to go there and I turned on the inside lane but when I went to go switch over to the right side lane to go to the truck stop I guess I didn't see her because she was right behind me and on the phone so she tried to pass me up at the last second and well I, I sideswiped her. So after the police situated the whole situation, I had n- got no tickets. I don't know what happened to her. She definitely got towed. But I didn't come in here in that morning. I found a letter on my windshield saying, please pay $10. I just left. But any, yeah, because I didn't see the sign. They had a small sign. I don't know if they changed that. This has been a few years ago. I don't know if they changed that since then. But yeah. So let's talk about Tracy Truck Stop and Auto Stop. It's on I-205, Tracy exit 8. I'm currently 1,686 miles away from there, if you want to know that. The exact address is 3940 North Tracy Boulevard, Tracy, California, 95304. And overall, it has a 2.1 rating. A lot of people bitching about the parking lot. And like I say all the time, I try to, I think one time I forgot to post um on social media i just get busy but i on my social media on truck stop murder or all my social platforms on instagram and twitter i take a picture of the truck stop through google earth or actually all the information i'm about to give you is from trucker's path so that's where i get the picture from give you like a satellite view so you can see how the parking lot is if you're a truck driver how you can maneuver around it where you come in and everything about it and how tight the parking is and what's your best best method to approach this place? So yeah, so it has. Let's see how many spots this has. It has 25 spots overnight. There's three showers, but some I did in the review says that there is no showers, but there is. But it's just a regular truck stop. Nothing special about it. 
let's see. So if you're tra traveling through here, traveling through Tracy on your way to San Francisco, and you decide you want to get a bite to eat there, stop, take a break, rest your, you know, stretch your legs. There actually is a lot of stuff to eat here. You have crispy, crunchy chicken, which is in the store. Tracy Truck Stop, you know, the food they have at truck stops, usually like burritos, hot dogs, and stuff like that. Uh, specialty proof food, Primo's Gourmet Food. All these, I try to stay within about a quarter mile. Then you have Denny's, which is a quarter mile. Now, on here, it don't show, within three miles, it shows Nation, if you want to go over a quarter mile, you got Nation's Giant Hamburger, Starbucks, and Milano Pizza. Now, on the map, it don't show on here, but there's an In-N-Out Burger right across the street. So, if you want that, there you go. So let's what, see what people think about this truck stop as for the reviews. Like I said, a 2.1 rating overall. Food is 2.0. Shower, 2.0. Parking, 2.0. Service, 2.0. Nobody likes this place. And this is out of, you don't say, uh, normally, they, let me go back here. They don't say how many reviews out of. Some of them did 212 reviews. There it is. I didn't overlook it. But let's see. I had to go back to the page. Right now, like I said, this is all on Trucker's Path. If you want to know more about truck stops or if you're a trucker, most truck drivers already know about this app. It's very helpful. It tells you, like, if you're driving in there right now, as of right hour ago, somebody said one hour ago there's some spots left. So if you want to know if you're, if you're traveling through there as a truck driver, you want to know if there's any spots before you get there, just go to Trucker's Path, and it will tell you if it's full some or a lot of spots it saves a lot of time so let's see the first person says this place is bad shitty food shitty service just shitty everywhere you look this seven days ago you look at it waste of my goddamn time crackheads run this place when i was there i didn't get bothered by no crackheads so that was good another review says not worth the trouble don't come here <laughs> one star review again one month ago I don't know why everyone uses the term tight to describe parking spaces where trucks are simply too long for maneuverability. The place is simply outdated for 53-foot trailers with sleepers due to the diminutive size of the lot when trucks were a lot smaller many years ago. So there you go. We stay were a lot smaller. There's a lot, that's why a lot of cab overs. I learned that not too long ago where like you see a lot of the older trucks were cab overs. If you don't want to know what cab over is, that's what the front, the flat front end, because there was a length. After a certain time, they got rid of the length. That's where the longer nose, the long nose Peterbilt came in. Then it transferred over to more of a weight situation. You're not allowed to have, oh, you could be on, unless you have permits, you could be 80,000 pounds without permit and 34 on each tandems and 12 on your, those are, these are thousands, 12,000 on your stairs. 34 on your drives and your tandems on your trailers so all right back to reviews it's okay tight parker here goes another one this person gave it a four-star review two months ago it's okay it's tight to park staff not rude just don't speak much english and jose is awesome cook and bathroom details is calls patience with them let me see english and jose n not and in just the letter in jose is awesome cook in bathroom detail it's call 
patience with them in <laughs> you will be nice thumbs up i have no idea where he's trying to talk about one star another four months ago average five months ago trash incarcerate okay five months ago i'd want two-star review i wouldn't even call this place average it's a hole in the wall can't believe they actually charge to park here I don't even want to know what the showers are like. Okay, maybe I said it was wrong. I said there's no showers, but yeah, he didn't go in the showers. I don't want to know what the showers are like. The only thing it's good for is emergency use, and that's it. And that's what basically I used. It was late, and I needed a place to park, and it was there. Some of these big cities find parking before 2 p.m. It's difficult. Like right now, it's 7 right now, and this parking lot where I'm at right now in Dallas has been filled since about 2 30. they do have your reserve park so parking so if you come to a pilot everything you get on the app you could reserve parking before you get there but if you plan on getting there without making any kind of reservations even if you do plan on making the you know pay for parking once you get here sometimes you just be screwed parking on the side of the road somewhere okay it's eight months ago not enough not enough that everything is dirty and old inside the store but there's no toilet paper in the women's restroom at all very dirty poor girl i'm gonna do a couple more i'm gonna try to stay within a year like all the newer ones actually there's a lot within 10 months ago so i'm gonna go with a couple more reviews on this parking lot super tight and the people at the counter are rude eight dollars for a shower which is actually pretty cheap but it don't say if it supplies your own towels or not eight dollars a shower is a lot of a is a lot for a shower where someone obviously cranked their hog i guess rubbed one out in there the <laughs> shower is nice i guess where someone rubbed one out in there and they want to clean it up okay parking is as tight as a another one star parking is as tight as a virgin on prom night if you don't have skills park somewhere else okay last review the person that is working one star review the person that is working in the counter is mean mean people in the store at the counter is not good for business you know what? i'm gonna leave with a five star review fuck it one more view and leave leave on good notes because we're about to get in some horrible shit ten star review ten no five star review ten dollars for parking eight dollars for the shower not bad to find a park in the area he's put area a-r-i-a area this is the best place no garbage clean asphalt parking i don't know why people complain and there you have it like i said i was there when i was working for srt that was about three or four years ago but i still remember it because it was a kind of a tight parking spot there was one left when i was there a couple spots open i did not see that he had a park so i guess i robbed them of their service you could say I'd be gangster like that <laughs> but yeah so but i was just more or less happy that i did not get a ticket for the the wreck so on to the crime that i found well actually this crime actually happened in two states the first part did happen not too far from where i was staying at in california but it ended in florida but you have to add both together and we're talking about lawrence singleton well let's first talk about what really attracted me to this case not attracted me that really got me interested in it we're talking about a very strong woman probably the one of the strongest women the, if not the strongest woman that i ever read about or watched any kind of show about 
we're talking about Mary Vincent. She was born in 1963. Mary Vincent was one of seven children and lived with her parents in Las Vegas. Her father worked as a mechanic, her mother as a blackjack dealer. Mary's parents were going through a messy divorce and things really got hostile around the house at this time. So because of this, which caused Mary to run away from home many occasions and would come back and run away, come back. At 15 years, Mary often, at 15 years, years old of age, she often skipped school and later took off with her boyfriend. She lived with her boyfriend for a summer in Sausalito, S-A-U-S-A-L-I-T-O, California. I've learned I'm not the best pronunciation person ever, so if I have trouble, I'll spell it out. Sausalito, California. Until authorities ex- apprehended her boyfriend on rape charges, which is a whole new case altogether. So I'm not going to get into that. After a brief period living on the streets and inside unlocked cars, which is like a real norm. Well, actually, if you go to California, which really baffled me a lot of my trips to California, I do see a lot of campments on the side of the highway and stuff like that, which always has baffled me for such a great country we have, why there's so many homeless people. But again, another subject again. So Mary hitchhiked to her grandfather's home in Berkeley, California, summer of 78, which would not be a good year. Because not too long after that, she started getting homesick. And the method of transportation for a lot of teens back in the 70s, or even the 60s, they would hitchhike. Which is baffles me, because right before all this happened, a lot of murders happened around Berkeley, California, around there, from Ed Kemper. So, But still people hitchhiked, I guess. And, you know, I was only 8 years old at the time. Yes, I am old as dirt, so I know this. As a matter of fact, you should see my beard so gray. But my wife, Desra, loves it, so I'm going to keep it on there. But yeah, it was a norm thing, so people would just stand on the side of the road with signs saying where they're going, and if somebody was going that direction, they'll pick them up. And so they stood on the corner with a group of people where they encountered Lawrence Singleton, slowed up and picked them, you know, offered Mary a ride. But she, he said that he only had enough room for one person in his van. Now, keep in mind, this is one of the full-size ba- vans. And, of course, everybody, the first red flag was everybody was saying, don't go. He's kind of, she's like, no, he's an old man. I'm pretty strong. I can handle myself. So she got in. Plus, the van, like I said, th- th- it could have fit a lot more people in it besides him. But he assisted only one person could come. And only took Mary, sing- only took Mary Vincent. So Singleton was an emergency seaman by trade. And upon finding Vincent, you marry told her with a kind smile that he had a daughter just about her age. He also told her he'd been heading to Reno, but would happily change courses to take her to Los Angeles. Like I said, she was getting homesick, wanted to come home. So I don't know if you're familiar with California area. Reno is northeast of where we're at by San Francisco area. So to take her to Los Angeles, it will take her about five hours south out of the way. Then he'll have to turn five hours back north so that should have been another red flag why would he be so maybe gas was cheaper back then i don't know i know right now that'd be crazy the way the gas prices are it'd be cheaper just say let me take you to the airport and i'll buy you an airplane ticket home it would be way cheaper than the whole driving thing but yeah her destination was corona california was on the outskirts of the city los angeles so let's talk about lawrence singleton he was born in tampa florida and he worked at, like I said, a merchant marine. 
Despite his facet middle age, Singleton reportedly had a temper and he was misogynist. He also was known to have a very bad temper and a great hatred for women. Of course, misogynist tells you that. His second wife, who recently had divorced him, and his relationship with his teen daughter was strained. He fought viciously with her. So they would never reconcile, never get along again after that. So he had been convicted for contributing to delinquency of a minor on many occasions and had a history of alcohol abuse. Of course, when all this was going on, Mary Vincent was unaware of Singleton's disability and got into the van, and off they went. But however, under the surface, Singleton was a terrible mess of men. He recently became divorced, like I said. So, and I had that written on my notes twice. I'll just put that out there. It's been a while. I need to start getting episodes all the, out all the time, get my notes correct, and get back in the swing of things. So, so they get on the road. When Vincent, one point, Vincent lit up the cigarette shortly after accepting the ride, she sneezed, and Singleton reached over and kind of felt her neck, asking her if she was sick. Mary didn't like the physical contact and pull, pulled out of reach, but soon drifted asleep when he, she, he re- didn't try anything further. She even offered him some help to carry some laundry into a stop before knocking back off to sleep, so helping him out. He was the old man. He ain't going to do nothing, so she went to sleep, took a nap. Not thinking anything about a miss was it going on. So, but until she woke up, she realized that she was off course driving back towards Nevada. So they were on their way to Reno. Scared and angry, she found a sharp stick in the car, kind of like a, something you point in the ground for like a survey, land survey pole. I've heard in some cases in the car. So she pulled it out, pointed at Singleton. She demanded to turn the van around and take her to where she was heading to. Singleton, you know, calmly apologized, saying, you know, reassuring the teen, reassuring Mary that just an honest man who made an honest mistake. Of course, he, she was Mary believed his him being remote was. Uh, Mary was, of course, believed them, and the ride continued. So, by after a few miles, Singleton pulled the van over on some on I five, just west east of San Francisco, on the side of the road. Said he needed to use the restroom got out you know mary also got out to get some fresh air so while she was bent over tying her shoes singleton hit her over the head with a hammer he tied her first he tried uh, her hands first he um, demanded oral sex from her which she or i'll kill you of course she performed that and then afterwards he tied her hands and shoved her in the back of the van where he would repeatedly rape her for over the course of the night where eventually she would pass off from that and then when she did regain consciousness, Singleton was still there. He ordered her out of the van to lay down on the side of the road where she pleaded with him to set her free. He began saying, you want to be free? I'll set you free. As he went to the van finding something, he returned with a hatchet. Mary Singleton, as Mary struggled, as Singleton held her down and with the axe swung and cut off her right arm. And so to her, she he kind of backed off a little bit so she could still feel her holding on to his arm and he saw her she saw him off in the distance kind of shaking his arm what she didn't realize that what he was trying to shake off was her arm that was still attached to his arm so when he got her arm off of him she went they went back and moved and took off the other arm at the elbow he then shoved there's a 30 foot embankment that was nearby he then shoved her naked and bleeding body down the embankment and went down and threw her in the cupboard 
he stepped up there and said, okay, now you're free. Then he left her there unconscious. And of course, with the pain and everything, she passed out once she got in the, the culvert and almost dead. So after she regained consciousness again, she realized that she was there at the bottom of the ravine by herself, bleeding profusely, alone and naked, and that she needed to do something. So she saw the blood. So what she did was she took like a mud cup, you put it in, she put her nubs in the dirt, kind of hoping that maybe the blood, the mud will stop the bleeding and kind of put it up in the air. But now keep in mind, she's down a 30-foot embankment. She has no arms, so she has to get back up here. So she mushed up the strength to stand up and get up there and then listen to the sound of traffic. She walked three miles where, you know, out of where she later will find out that she was in Del Pruto Canyon, Del P-U-E-R-T-O, Prato Canyon, which is right there on I-5. She followed the sounds of the nearby freeway and raised her arms to keep the bleeding to a minimum. So I bet you this is probably a terrible sight to see. Imagine driving down the road and a bl naked, blood-soaked woman with her arms up in the air, missing arms, you know, missing from her elbows up, gone. Well, it'd be going through your mind. Of course, you're going to be scared. So, of course, what the first group of people did after Spot Mary, they it's like they were they turned around, made a U-turn when they took off. But the second couple who had been traveling on vacation stopped to help her. They wrapped her arms linen from their car before driving to a nearby airport. There they called an ambulance. All she could say was, he raped me. He raped me over and over, over again. So after attack, Mary was able to provide law enforcement with such a detailed description of her attacker, people immediately recognized the police sketch. During her recovery, specialists fit Mary with prosthetics. As she returned to school, adapting to her new disability, when authorities apprehended Singleton, Vincent testified against him. Singleton assisted. She was a prostitute claiming that he hadn't committed no crime at all. He was he maintained someone else had not been in the car and did that. And that afterwards, that after he, he, she gave him sex, that Mary had threatened him and with false accusations of rape. Singleton called, actually called her a $10 whore in court. But despite everything Singleton said, Vincent stood up in front of the court and pointed one of her prosthetic arms at him. Vincent only refers to Singleton as my attacker. She declared in a firm voice that he did this to her. Of course... You know, he was found guilty when we'll get that. But, yeah, she suffered severe PTSD from this, terrified at home. She was having trouble with her family and felt isolated at her specialized school for the handicap. She moved away as soon as she graduated, became secretive about her life and location, traumatized, depressed, and, Vince, and Vincent became, uh, uh, became anxious having trouble leaving the house and saw many of the close relationships follow her love her relationships just fall apart she ended up living many years in fear and love has had to do before she left the courthouse she testified and she left she didn't stick around as she walked by singleton he mentioned you know kind of slowly you know low voice said next time i'll finish the job so of course she was scared to death so the trial lasted six months after the self Singleton was sentenced to, listen to this, 14 years in prison for what he did to this poor girl. Keep in mind, she was only 15 years old. The maximum allowed for California at the time, the presiding judge remarked, 
If I had the power, I would send him to prison for the rest of his natural life. Charges was rape, kidnapping, mayhem, attempted murder, sex crimes, theft. So, yeah, all that. But things will change after that. And I had to look up mayhem. Matter of fact, um, a lot of this information I did, I, first time, well, I'm not going to say where I got this from because then I'll, I'll give up. And I don't want to point no fingers, any ho- anger, hostility against this individual. But I listened to an episode where I tried to get this individual on the show. But he also was kind of curious what mayhem was. So I'm going to give you the you know definition of mayhem in the United States as well. Mayhem. Modern status in the United States define mayhem as disabling or disfiguring, such as rendering useless a member of another person's arms and legs. The injury must be permanent, not just a temporary loss. Some courts will even hold a minor battery as mayhem if the injury is not minor. Well, yeah, it was a felt. Now you could get a lot of trouble from this. Some cases, depending on the severity of it, you could get punishable up to two to eight years in prison. And some places you can even get up to life. So, of course, Mary filed for a civil court and won a $2.56 million judgment against Singleton. But, of course, he, she was not going to get that. She was um because he was broke, unemployed, and only had $200 to his name. So she wasn't getting shit from him. Along with the particularly gruesome and callous aspect of the crime, the case even become no more notorious to after listening to this. Singleton was paroled after serving only eight years in prison. He was able to reduce his time through good behavior and working as a teacher assistant in classroom. So, and he was paroled to Contra Costa, Contra Costa County, California, where shit went crazy. Nobody not, did not want him in town. So according to Time Magazine, as authorities attempt to sell him into one of the Bay Areas, Angry crowds in Tampa Chapters chapter of Guardian Angels left protests, screened, picketed, and eventually prevailed to keep him out. 25 miles northeast of San Francisco, a crowd of approximately 500 local protesters were up in arms and forced officers to move him under armed guard from a hotel. Authorities tried, tried housing him across the street from Connor City Hall, but this was met with protest and it failed too. He was also removed from one apartment in Contra Costa County in the county in a bulletproof vest after 400 residents surrounded the building to protest the decision to place him there permanently. Of course, the governor at the time ordered a singleton be placed in a trailer on the grounds of San Quentin for the duration of his one-year parole. Of course, people was outraged on the sentence and, you know, legislation supporting Mary Vincent, which prevents early release supported by Mary Vincent, they changed the laws about that, which prevents early release of offenders who have committed a crime which torture is used. In 1987, Singleton's Pro led to passage of California's Singleton Bill, which carries a 25-year-to-life sentence. The leniency of legal systems shocked and outraged many. One journalist who interviewed him remarked, what was most surprising to me was, however, was not his in- sentence. It was that Singleton had worked his crimes around in his mind so completely, you know, c- completely that he did not warrant punishment at all. He did not think he was getting in trouble. He just picked up a prostitute. And that's it. You know, she threatened me. I'm not guilty. You all got me. That's it. So Singleton just felt like he was the victim of the attack against 
Mary and decided to sue her in jail. Yes, while in jail, he decided to sue her. He claimed he considered the alleged events and knew he was not guilty. He said he remembered Vincent threatened to accuse him of rape and that she was brandishing a stick at him. Well, back when he was going the wrong direction, that's where he used that. He said, decided that was the reason why he became violent. Maintaining mistreatment from the courts, he filed a complaint suing Vince, Mary Vincent for forcible kidnap for the pursuit of robbery. A 15-year-old girl. Now, keep in mind, he was a grown-ass man at the time. So he's saying this 15-year-old girl that he picked up as a prostitute was trying to rob him. That was her whole game plan. So, yeah, he feared sympathy for Vincent, claiming that he almost vomited three times and could not sleep for several nights after filing this suit. Never, of course, it never gained traction, and the courts dismissed it. So let's talk about another person who was scared about Lawrence, you know, being out of jail. Lawrence Singleton's daughter, Deborah. Mary Vincent was not the only one who feared Singleton. His own daughter, Deborah, spoke at length about the nature of her father and what he was like as a dad. When she found out that he was getting out of jail, she also filed and, you know, fled and hid asking law enforcement if there's any way to keep him behind bars for longer. Considering how he had used his status as a father to lure Mary in the car, it was only made sense in her own words. So I asked the California, what she said was, I asked the California prison personnel that could be done to keep him in there longer. I was told there's nothing. They should suggest that I obtain a restraining order, order, so a piece of paper, restraining order, at the time of the release sorry but i mean this quite sarcastically i tell you he is a danger i said that before the first crime i've changed my mind multiple times and i am moving across state lines she's just getting the hell out of there so he finished off his parole there and afterwards since nobody wants him there he moved back to florida so yes he returned to florida because nobody wanted him in california probably safer for him there but as you will see, it did not end up well for someone else. So he returned to Florida in 1990. He right away he started getting like petty theft, petty issues. He was he was twice convicted of theft. He served a 60-day sentence for stealing a $10 disposable camera. In the spring of 1990, again in the winter, he received a two-year prison term for stealing a $3 hat. He described himself to the judge. As confused, muddle-headed old man. So yeah, up to this point, it was just petty theft and stuff like that. Nothing serious. But until Roxanne Lee Hayes came into the picture. Let's talk about Roxanne Lee Hayes. First, let's talk about her boyfriend. Which probably could have changed a lot of the stuff if he would have been a man and just stepped up. But yeah, her boyfriend, Tyson. Clifford Tyson. Tyson had been working as a trucker. For a carpet and flooring company, but he injured himself in a car accident in the July of 1996. His left knee required surgery. He was he, and of course, he's never he never worked after that. So Roxanne became the sole provider. So and of course, she had a lot of issues herself. You know, trying to make ends meet. She was in and out of jail for prostitution a lot, some drug offenses, stuff like that. So she ended up getting like a social worker that would help her, and a social worker says she believes Tyson encouraged her to stay on the street. At that least, he didn't try to discourage her. Tyson, who would drive her to the corner, 
where she worked denies that it was her decision alone he said but if what do y'all think about that replied to me you know tell me on social media truck stop murder what do you think if a husband or boyfriend does not work but he drives his other half to the corner to work i don't know you should yeah and what he said was tyson said i was a trick how he met her i was a trick when i met roxanne it proved to be a lasting relationship, but Tyson brought his own baggage to you. So he brought his own baggage to the union himself too. Let's talk about him. He had, and I'm talking a little bit about him because he could have done something to prevent it all this. In my mind, if he would just man up, got a job, and took that role, even if it was anything, to help her. Because at this time, she had only one daughter. Later, they would have two more kids, which I would get into. But just be a man, take responsibility, and. Take care of your kids and not let your girlfriend or wife to walk the streets. So, yeah, he had been recently divorced in early 1987. He had been released from prison after serving about a half of a four-year sentence for burglary, robbery, burglary, and grand theft. In the past, he had supported himself as a cook. His career choices, however, limited by the fact that he had quit Florida A&M University in the late 70s. He said, I thought I wanted the streets, women, cars, money. I got away from God, <laughs> what he claims. Hema Hayes in 1988 on the end of East Hillsborough Avenue, where she was fast becoming a fixture there. She asked me, can you give me a ride? I'm sleepy. Of course, he said, I, Tyson said, I gave her a ride. She slept in my car. We talked. She talked about her daughter. Then I tucked her, her to my sister's house. She slept. Uh, for a couple of days, so she must be coming down with a drug high, I believe, maybe. I don't know. I'm not judging. But she slept for a couple of days. It reminds me of on Forrest Gump, where he had got, you know, I can't think of her name. Ah, uh, Why my mind? I can't remember Forrest Gump's girlfriend's name. But, yeah, where she slept for days, from on things blossom. They would have two sons together. Clifton in 1989 and Malachi in 1993. The boys were healthy with no trace of drugs in their system, but the remedies of Hayes' life on the streets were hard to miss. It was Jenny. Now I remember now. I just start. Well, I, I'm not going to lie. I paused the episode recording and looked it up. I it was going to bother me. But yeah, it was his Jenny. So let's talk about a little bit more about you know, Roxanne's life. She was abused sexually by her grandfather. A lot of this information is from Tyson. So I don't know if it's true or not, but I've tried to look it up more information, but everything's saying that he was pretty much telling the truth about that. But yeah, she was abused sexually by her grandfather, according to his, her grandmother, what Tyson was say, where they had conversations with her. This abuse started when Roxanne was only two years old. Everyone knew about it, but did not want to do anything. Of course, they didn't want to get involved. Until one day when she was about six or seven, when her grandfather went in the room and he just died. Good for you. you Two years old, yeah. That is sick. But once grandfather was dead, her father was not much better. Her father was an abusive drunk. In Tyson's words, continued to physically abuse her until she was 14. The year her mother, you know, that year her mother, a bartender, died and Hayes left home for a good when she moved in with other family members. She tried other jobs. One man who knew her background, of course she knew her background as a prostitution, you know, prostitute offered her a position as a bookkeeper. 
of course that was just all the what's i'm looking for it was fake job he wanted some from her so after she started however the man came out to her says the social worker that she was seeing he didn't want to help her he was trying just using her too so she was used by a lot of men at the time to including tyson i believe i have no proof of this i don't seen it but just my instincts saying that he didn't have no job he was just using her for a place to live and of course her being a woman and prostitute brought money in so Hayes applied for and she tried to go straight many times of course she has three kids at this time and her husband's not working boyfriend's not working when i keep on her husband her boyfriend was not working so she still has to get food on the table and the bills paid and three kids to take care of so she would apply for different jobs usually at fast food restaurants the applications presented her with a lot of problems the part where you put down experience what would she put down she just left it blank and when she left it and when it put down crimes that she'd been charged with they'd be like oh well we're not hiring prostitutes today maybe next time next week they wouldn't say that but they would not hire her but february 1997 in tampa florida let's talk about it. so that's her story Let, let's see how her and mr Sing singleton crossed paths February 19, 1997, Tampa, Florida. in Tampa, Florida, Paul Hinston, a night witness of it all, saw everything, which, talking about man up, he could have done something. But you tell me. Hinston, who had been hired to paint Singleton's house, testified that after knocking on Singleton's door and calling his name, he, he walked into the house and heard a muffling, gurgling sound for help. His, Hinston stayed, he stated that he was walking through the house and he heard another cry for help, Upon entering the doorway of the family room, saw Singleton hunched over a body on the couch. I guess he thought he was having sex with her. So he quickly left through the carport door and told his uncle about what he saw, who was waiting outside, and what everything he'd seen. So just out of curiosity, he ran to the front of the house and looked through the window of the front door where he saw what was going on. So he kicked in the door, and in response, heard another. Well, he didn't see nothing through the window, but he kicked in the door to go in where he heard another cry for help. He saw Hayes laying on the couch, not moving with Singleton, standing above her with, with his hands around her neck. Hinton also he also testified that he saw Singleton make three downward pounding motions on Hayes' chest, Roxanne's chest and neck area, accompanying by bone-crushing sounds. Hinton said that he with his, went to uh, his uncle, to give some help well Hinson then went to his uncle's house to telephone for help so that's where he was inside seeing all that so instead of stopping they waited they ran they left they didn't want no part of it so they went and called the place where they came in and i heard Stringham's, you know on what he, way he came to the door he came to the door naked like nothing was no problem kind of still you know some air you know some of the places i read that he still had the condom hanging from his cock. I don't know if that's true or not, but either way. So let's. So how did they meet? How did she, Roxanne get where she was at? So in the past, she had agreed to meet Singleton in the past for $20 where they gave oral sex. He would go on to claim that she tried to, after the, well, it came again, so he went and got her again for the same, you know, the same he would go on to claim that she tried to take more after they got done that she tried to claim take more money from his wallet a struggle assured while he was trying to get a knife from her she wound up stabbing 
herself multiple times. So during the struggle, she's just stabbing herself. His story was clearly made up to the testimony of the house painter. An unconscious victim cannot struggle with the killer. Shortly after the incident, Singleton would attempt to take his own life, but was unsuccessful. Too bad. He would be housed in a psychiatric hospital for some time before heading in jail to await his trial. So that's what he would say, that Roxanne tried to get more money out of his wallet, more than $20 what they had agreed to, and that during the fight, she just kept stabbing herself while he's on her, and she didn't know that. But yeah, so Dr. Dollar Miller, uh, um, Associate Medical Examiner of Hillsborough County, also testified for a so during trial. Miller, who examined Hayes' body, testified that Hayes had six stab wounds on her trunk, you know, her body area, and seventh on her face, which were consistent with the attacker being face-to-face, but bent over her. Miller also testified that Hayes had several deep defensive wounds on her hands, including one that almost severed the index and middle fingers on her left hand. Miller estimated that Hayes had been conscious for at least four to five minutes after sustaining the fatal wounds to her heart. Of course, they went through all the evidence, everything, testimony, witnesses, and also, while doing this, member Mary Vincent, she traveled from California to Tampa to appear in Singleton's sentencing. During her testimony, she described Singleton's attack and the toll on the or- and the ordeal had taken in on her. Of course, with all that being said, the jury returned with a guilty of guilty of first degree murder. So after the penalty phase of the trial, the jury recommended a sentence of death by a vote of 10 to 2. So be gone with you to the death chamber. The trial, of course, the trial court agreed and sentenced the Singleton to death. So the reasons why they did go after the capital murder was the trial court found the existence of two aggravators. Singleton had previously been convicted of a felony involving the use of violence to a person, and the murder was exceptionally heinous, atrocious, and cruel, atrocious and cruel, which is HAC. The trial court also found the following stationary mitigators. The murder was committed while Singleton was under influence of extreme mental and emotional disturbance, which I don't know what he was, just being old man. Singleton's capacity to apprehend the what he did was wrong to affirm his conduct to be requirements of losses. But I'm not going to go all over this because, yeah, he's really no Mingleton. Later on, he will say all these. Well, let me see. Singleton's capacity to appreciate the criminality of the conduct to confirm his conduct to the requirements of law was sustainable and impaired. And Singleton's age at the time of the fence was 69. So he that was a mitigating. He was an old man. The court found non stationary mitigations as following. The prior violent crime was committed in 1978 when Singleton was 51 years old. The intent to kill was formed during an argument or disagreement with the victim. Since his release on parole in 1987, Singleton, Singleton had never been accused of or arrested for any offense except petty theft. Singleton was under influence of alcohol and other possible medications at the time of defense. Singleton offered, you know, suffered from alcoholism. Singleton suffered from mild dementia. Singleton had previously attempted suicide. Also severe, you know, Singleton as they, they keep saying his name. I'm reading as it was put out in the notes. 
Singleton had served served honorably in the armed forces, and Singleton was a model prisoner in California from 79 to 87. So, what did they give him? Of course, they give him death penalty. So, there you go. But, on appeals, I see he tried a lot of appeals. I'm not going to go over all. There's like eight appeals. He claimed that the court denied still their right to impartial jury. Nope. He agreed that admission of videotape of Singleton's wearing jail clothes and handcuffs while in custody on the night. So that was on no Singleton. Next issue was the appeal and the judge erred by failing to evaluate each mitigating factor. That's why I kind of roughly went over them. We they didn't go over the mitigating because it was all bullshit. So no Singleton's fourth argument on appeal in the trial court erred by directing, you know, having Mary Vincent there, the Mary, that victim, Mary Singleton's prior you know, violent felony, raised the right hand to sway. This is what I thought was hilarious. Let me read it. Singleton's fourth argument appeal is the trial that court aired by directing, you know, directing that Mary Vincent, the victim of Singletary's prior violent felony, raised her right hand to be sworn in and point to Singleton to identify her, the, 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 identify him. Singleton admits that Vincent's testimony was relevant to explain what's Explain the circumstances. I think I'm reading too fast. Let me slow down. Explain the circumstances to prior violent felonies, but argues that the use of Vince's prosthetic to be sworn in and to identify him was un, you know, was not unduly prejudicial. Of course, they thought that was because she couldn't raise her right hand because she didn't have no right hand. But so yeah, there you have it with all the appeals and everything. Of course, they didn't did not you know none of that went through but he would never face the death penalty oh he did get the death penalty but he singleton died in 2001 of in can of cancer in prison he was hospitalized in north florida and north reception center in stark florida s-t-a-r-k-e but there you go that's a horrible tale tale of mary vincent and roxanne hayes by lauren singleton after this a lot of laws changed because a lot of people could not figure out because of the the severity of the crime to mary vincent why this man was allowed to even get out of jail why didn't he get more time why did he only get 14 years and then why were they he was able to get out and continue you know and that's how we're because of this california started his three strike law so if you have three felonies is life in prison they actually maxed up the the life you know the terms of prison sentences for violent attacks heinous anything that caused torture so you're not going to get any kind of leniency from california no more there's no so if it would have been now this would have happened he would have been he would have never roxanne hayes would still been alive yep but there you have it there's the story of mary vincent and roxanne hayes and reaches after this, which I'm uh, I was gonna add her to it, but I think I'm gonna do that on a separate episode altogether because I believe she deserves her own episode. And also Polly Kloss, K L A A S, was gonna be a part of this. But like I said, I'm think, but she between Roxanne Hayes and her, they actually changed a lot of laws because of that, letting violent felons out of prison. So such short prison term. Well, all right, but sorry that it's tough for some few of y'all that do enjoy my podcast. I'm sorry, 
that it took so long to put out another episode. Like I said, I was, I had someone in mind that we've been talking, we emailed through back and forth, and we were supposed to record this together. But like I said, I guess he changed his mind. I don't know. But there you have it. And if you do like this, please share with everybody. Please join my Facebook group, Truck Stop Murder True Crime Podcast. Or if you like TikTok, if you're on TikTok, go to Sceneries and Cemeteries. I always post videos of where I'm going, of cemeteries and different sceneries. It don't fit in with Truck Stop Murder. So I made my own TikTok video from there. Follow me on Instagram at Truck Stop Murder, Twitter at Truck Murder. Also, if you want to email me and call me an asshole, you could email me at truckstopmurder at gmail.com. So I'm going to try to start being more better on this. I know I say this all the time, and then a month later I put on another episode, but I'm really going to really get busy on it real hard. But before I end, let me ask you all a question. My wife thinks that I should not quit truck driving, but I spent nine years in the United States Army, of course, United States Army, U.S., and I was never home. And once I got out of the Army, I've been a truck driver for the last seven years, never home. So I'm, I'm trying to get home. And a position opened up at the Polensky Prison, the Polensky Unit, which you, if you don't know what that is, that's death row. I'm going to get a job there as a correctional officer. I put, if you're following me on my Facebook, you know, you have seen that I posted about that. All I'm doing is waiting for uh, my background to check. But she thinks I'll be a fake. I'm doing truck stop murders, but I'm not a truck driver. That I'm going to be a correction officer. That I would not be sincere. This podcast would not be sincere enough. But all the truck stops, the seven years I was on the road, I did stay at a lot of truck stops. So if I do talk about a truck stop, I've been there. The only one I have not been to, and I'll be honest with you, is when I did Vincent Lee's case, the one up in in Canada with Timothy McLean. Tim McLean. With the Greyhound bus, I didn't stay at that one. Of course, I've never been to Canada, so that was the exception. But I do, like I said, all the truck stops I talk about are ones I stayed at. And it might have been a while back ago, but I've been there. So give me your opinion. Go to Truck Stop. Say something on my Facebook group page, Truck Stop Murder and True Crime Podcast. And I always share with anybody, everybody, like I've already said that. Rate and review wherever you listen to it. Also go to Facebook. I have my page, not the group, but the page itself. You can always rate and review there too. I'll, anything kind of help. Anything will help. I have a Patreon page too, but a Patreon, but I don't know if that's up and running. If you do try to donate, let me know if there's any issues with it. I'm gonna try to start putting some Patreon episodes out. I need to fix that. I think I messed it up, but I don't know. Or if you just want to throw me a few dollars to help support the, the you can PayPal me at Gary.Howard five at yahoo.com or truck stop murder either one at gmail either one will work try to get some better equipment and maybe get some better episodes out so there you go thank you for listening and like i always said you say you can't fix stupid but you can sure numb it with a two by four i'm out of here Uh, uh.